BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. If you live in or even just visit San Francisco, you cannot miss the driverless cars circling the city's neighborhoods. Cruise and Waymo both operate autonomous vehicles, providing taxi services to people, you know, like Uber or Lyft. While they've been operating for a while, now they're seeking permission from the state's Public Utilities Commission to expand their operations in the city. Some local officials argued the technology isn't ready. They point to recent examples of automated cars stopped on roads or obstructing emergency responders. Other people say that the whole idea of self-driving cars is flawed. We'll talk about the upcoming vote and where the robo-taxi industry is headed. That's all coming up next, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. When I was an editor at The Atlantic, I was once looking through our archives. And in 1955, there was a story titled Brainwashing, Time for a Policy. And it became a bit of an inside joke, this idea that a magazine like The Atlantic could take anything wild and new and exciting and turn it into a bureaucratic dilemma. Alien unicorns, time for a policy. And I want to recognize that there's an element of that funny but also serious dynamic in the way that we talk about autonomous vehicles. Here we have these absolute marvels of engineering, the product of tens of billions of dollars of research money over the last 20 years. And now we have these things piloting quietly around our cities, truly robots among us. And of course, we're debating the exact hours they can charge fares. The most powerful embodied AI in the world. Time for a policy. And we should have a policy, and we will. That's how new technologies get integrated into or relegated out of a society. So let's talk about policy. Let's bring on our first guest, Kevin Trong of the San Francisco Standard. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. So we've been writing stories about driverless cars for a long time. How did Waymo and Cruise come to be the biggest names in AVs here in the city? 
Well, both of these companies have been working on uh, autonomous vehicle technology for a decade plus, and, and both are homegrown companies in, in a way. Cruise was founded in San Francisco in, in 2013 and was later purchased by General Motors, obviously one of the world's largest automakers, um, for half a billion dollars a few years later. Um, Waymo kind of started uh, out of uh, Alphabet Google um, down in Mountain View, who's sort of started the, developing the technology and has really grown to be two of the largest players within this space. And, and partly because what you talked about, it takes tens of billions of dollars to develop this technology, to test the technology, to go through some of the regulatory issues. Um, and, you know, some of the startups we've seen have been gobbled up by some of these larger players. And it kind of has settled into some of these large corporate entities really pushing this technology yeah. forward and then now trying to commercialize it. Yeah. How about Zooks? People might see them around. Where do they stand in all this? So Zooks is a, a subsidiary of, of Amazon, and um, they are a little bit, I would say, behind in terms of the actual commercialization process. Uh, if, if you talk to some of the executives there, they might say that as a positive, that they're sort of waiting on the back foot while everyone sort of deals with the uh, kind of conflict that we're sort of seeing a play out on the city streets and, and obviously in the media. Um, but they recently got their uh, DMV testing permit this year to actually um, test their vehicles on city streets. So that's why you're seeing more and more of them in San Francisco. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about this kind of regulatory regime. So we've got the the DMV, what do they do? And then we've also got CPUC, the California Public Utilities Commission. What do they do? So, yeah, so part of the problem, I think, at least from the local official side, is a lot of the regulation of autonomous vehicles is done at the state and and partially the, the federal level. Um, and these two entities, the DMV and CPUC, CPUC, are the uh, two state entities uh, that basically govern whether they can be tested on public streets and then now whether they can actually take fares, um, essentially become the quote-unquote robo-taxi services that we're seeing today. Mm -hmm. DMV essentially governs whether they can be um, permitted to drive and test on um, public roads, uh, CPUC, uh, determines whether they can take fares. They also regulate the taxi industry, for example. Yeah, and like the DMV, right, requires the safety records to be kept and uh, all those kinds of things. You can find all that information on their website. There's reports that have to be filed and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, what is the role of like a local city government, like San Francisco City Council? Could they stop robo-taxis from uh, being, being piloted around the city or not? Yeah, so... I would say the local government has um, limited authority. Uh, I, I think what they're trying to do is actually have a little bit more. And what they're doing is using kind of public policy, public policy communications as a way to essentially um, make their point known. So if you see a lot of the decisions being made at the state level are accompanied with uh, – protest letters, um, comment letters from local authorities like the SFMTA, which uh, governs uh, public transit and transportation in the city, um, organizations like the fire department who are saying that some of these cars and vehicles um, interfere with their emergency services or even the police department saying mm -hmm. the same thing. Um, so essentially what they're doing is using this public comment process to get a little bit more publicity, a little bit more press, organize some um, opposition or at least some um, uh, halting or at least pausing of, mm. of some of this progress in terms of the commercialization. Um, and, and what we're sort of seeing is now this kind of standoff that, that is happening. We're talking about autonomous vehicles and the possible expanded presence in San Francisco. Joined by Kevin Trong, staff writer with the San Francisco Standard. 
Love to hear from you. I mean, what questions do you have about autonomous vehicles, specifically here in the Bay Area? Maybe you've ridden in one. What's that experience been like? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. Twitter, Instagram, threads, we're KQED Forum. So let's talk a little bit about the specific vote that's happening mm-hmm. at, at CPUC. It's coming up, I think, on the 10th, right? Yeah, August 10th. Yeah. And so what is this vote on the 10th? Like, what's the actual, like, e- e- specific issue? Right. So initially, this vote was supposed to go in front of the CPUC in June 29th. And I don't think uh, a June meeting of the California Public Utilities Commission would be necessarily sexy in a lot of cases. <laughs> but it, and it turned out to be kind of a big deal because... Uh, alongside their agenda item, they published what were draft decisions, essentially that they would allow both Cruz and Waymo to take fares across the city um, at all times and essentially allow an unlimited expansion of the robo-taxi services, the fare charging services. And that sort of led to a lot of forces both in opposition and support to muster. Um, so what we've actually seen is that that vote got pushed off first to uh, to July and then now to August in, in um, because of actually one commissioner who was saying we need a little bit more data, we need a little bit more rulemaking, we need a little more process. Um, I, I think your mileage may vary on that argument. Um, so now the, the vote is basically uh, on August 10th on whether these um, Cruise and Waymo robo-taxis will be allowed to take fares across the city. Yeah. I mean, when I'm walking across the mission kind of at all hours coming to the station, I also, I mean, I see these cars operating already. Mm-hmm. So is this really, this is just about when, if they can already operate at any hour, it's just when they can literally take a fare. Exactly. And and I think, you know, the DMV basically governs whether they can operate autonomously. And, and both companies have essentially that authority to operate around in, in kind of a testing um, uh, testing protocol. Mm-hmm. Now, this is actually the commercialization aspect. So um, to expand it so you can call it, um, you know, at the ge- a member of the general public could, would be able to call this for a, a ride from point A to point B. Got it. Um, so our local officials saying that the the California Public Utilities Commission should actually just deny them the ability to do this. What, what do they actually want to have happen here? They want a, a different set of rules. Do they want they asking for other data? Like, what are the things that local officials actually want? Uh, well, I think it would kind of depend on the local official you talk to. I think uh, if I'm going to kind of characterize it as a whole, they would prefer, you know, kind of a phased deployment, a gated deployment, essentially that if, uh, you know, we can kind of put uh, fences in place so that only a certain amount of cars are deployed at a certain amount of time. Mm. And then once you kind of deal with the ramifications in terms of data sharing, uh, the interactions with emergency vehicles, interactions with public transit, then more and more will be allowed on mm. the city streets. Mm. Uh, and then you have some some people who basically want it to be denied. Um, I spoke to a supervisor a couple weeks ago who actually wants one of the CPUC members to recuse himself because he's a former cruise employee. Um he says he's not going to do that. So, um, so there's there's kind there's quite a lot of um, debate a- a- around what exactly they want to do. Essentially, they just want to slow the deployment so that it's not just a kind of a flip switch, and then now um, Cruise and Waymo are allowed to operate their fares or their the yeah. taxis around. So it seems like a lot of this debate has centered around some sort of. Um, viral moments of Mm -hmm. some of these cars stopping in the street at some times. Um, What's what's happening there for people who are just kind of like, wait, why are the cars stopping and what's going on in this video? Like, um, talk to me a little bit about what you've you've heard about that. Yeah. So 
basically when these cards get confused, and I'm going to just use some sort of personification because I think it's easier uh, to, to describe it that way, they enter what's kind of known as a, a minimal risk um Mm-hmm. Minimal risk sort of uh, mode. Mode, yeah. yeah. Um, I think commonly known as bricking. So a, a lot of times they'll just sort of stop. They'll turn on their hazard hazards. Um, sometimes you know I, I've been in in vehicles where this happens. Sometimes they'll actually uh, call in. They'll try to talk to you. They'll try to fix it from kind of like the dispatch system. If that doesn't work, um, they'll actually dispatch an employee to come in and try to fix it. Now the problem is um, when those cards brick. Um, in unfortunate situations, which blocks public transit or in some cases blocks emergency vehicles or impedes emergency responses. Um, and I think part of what you mentioned is the viral nature of this, right? It's kind of novel. It's new. It's this sort of clash between the new technology and the old way of doing things. So they are, I think, inherently um, memeable. They're inherently mm-hmm. uh, viral you know, of viral moments that kind of spread w- widely. Um, I think part of the problem is there's no really comprehensive database on how many of these incidents happen. If you ask, you know, local officials, they say they've, if it's gone from a handful of incidents a month to kind of now dozens. But there is no sort of systematic way that they are tracking this. They're using social media posts. They're using reports from, you know, emergency services. Mm-hmm. They're using their own sort of cameras and, and, and um, staff. But there's not really a, a kind of defined record keeping for this. You know, one listener tweets, I want a world populated by human beings where we interact with human beings. All this tech and AI stuff always has these complicated bugs that we find over time, meaning that people are at risk the whole time. We need jobs and we need jobs that pay a living wage. How much of this debate do you think is about the actual specific dangers around, you know, emergency responders or Mm. car stopping? And how much is just this kind of darkness around the idea that the AI are coming or that technology is bad? Well, I think it's um, I think it's a lot. I think one is sort of leading to the other. I think part of the concern that people have with the interactions is kind of the um, I said I would call it the front lines. But what what we're sort of seeing is undercurrent, the subtext of, okay, this technology, whether it's generative AI, whether it's autonomous vehicles, will sort of lead to these mass social and labor disruptions. And what we're seeing is actually money coming from some of these um, from labor groups and, and some of these people who are kind of concerned about it to to push that argument forward yeah we're talking about autonomous vehicles and what their expanded presence might mean for transportation in san francisco kevin trong staff writer at the san francisco standard is setting us up we've got representative from waymo coming on and other uh other folks just after the break we'd kind of love to hear from you phone lines are already kind of full so you might want to try the email address what questions do you have about autonomous vehicles and their presence in the city the email is forum at kqed.org. You can try Twitter, threads, Instagram, or KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about autonomous vehicles, that say driverless cars, and what their expanded presence might mean for transportation in San Francisco. Joined by Kevin Trong, staff writer at the San Francisco Standard. Want to add a couple more guests to our conversation here. Annabelle Chang is the head of state policy and government relations at Waymo. Welcome, Annabelle. Happy to be here. We're also joined by Dylan Fabris, community and policy manager with San Francisco Transit Riders. Welcome, Dylan. Thanks for having me. So, Annabelle, um, you were listening. You obviously have seen some of these viral moments of the cars uh, stopping. What are you kind of doing to minimize those kinds of stops? And how are you all thinking about that? It's really a larger problem, sort of what happens when something unexpected goes wrong or something happens. Yeah. And as I said before, this is novel technology and this is an exciting time. But of course, uh, you know, there's social media and uh, certainly when you have an unusual circumstance, people glom onto it and are are curious about how we're going to address it. I will say, uh, let me just give an example. Last week, I took a, a fully autonomous ride in Los Angeles from downtown L.A. to the La Brea Tar Pits. That was about an hour long round trip ride. We encountered four emergency vehicles during that time, and we navigated it pretty seamlessly. Um, What we know from our fleet experience is that we encounter about 100 emergency vehicles every day, um, and the vast majority of them don't result in anything uh, of of issue or of comment. Uh, But for those few ones that might have something unusual, we're absolutely focused on working and addressing some of those uh, types of situations, and we work with local law enforcement. We look, for example, in San Francisco, we work with San Francisco Fire uh, and train them. And we also learn from them as well. Uh, So we're very much geared towards addressing those types of situations. But on the whole, given the million millions of autonomous miles we've driven, uh, there's very, very few incidents. Yeah, you know, I mean, it strikes me that there's a kind of similarity in this problem to some of the content moderation things that we've seen, you know, with uh, with Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter, where it's sort of like the scale of it is quite large. And so from the company's perspective, it's like, well, but this only happens like this tiny percentage of time. But from like an individual out in the city, they go, yeah, but but it happened like to me. Um, are, is there some sense that you're going to change the approach to their, you know, uh, just deciding to stop when they encounter something that they don't quite understand? Right. I mean, that has been the, the long time approach at Waymo. I've heard you all talk about this for like a decade. The safest thing to do is to pull over and stop. Right. I mean, that's been the approach. That's correct. And so we actually do pull over and stop when we, as Kevin was referring to, reach a minimal risk condition, right? We're trying to make sure we're staying out of traffic, staying out of the way of pedestrians and cyclists. So where there's a safe place to pull over, we will absolutely do that. Um, and then as, as Kevin also noted, we then talk to our dispatch to get some instructions, uh, potentially to move the car and move on. So most of the time, the car can actually resolve the situation by itself. But there are occasional circumstances where we do have Um, roadside assistance come and help. Mm -hmm. But again, I think what's really interesting about our tech is, let's say Annabelle, me, the driver, I encounter a situation, I may not learn from it. I may make the same mistake 20 minutes later, and Alexis and Kevin, 
you certainly wouldn't learn from my mistake. But that's the difference with Waymo and the autonomous tech is that you can actually learn from the mistake or a lesson from one car and the whole fleet can learn from that. So every single mile helps inform the next set of miles, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty incredible. So one question that some of our listeners have and we'll definitely get to is why should people want these autonomous vehicles relative to you know, any other ride hailing technology driven by you know, a, a regular human being? Yeah, let me give an example. I'm sure that we have some listeners who are driving right now. Uh, you are behind the steering wheel. You have a 180-degree view. You know, you left to right. Uh, maybe you glance every few seconds at your review and your side view mirror. Uh, but you don't know what's happening on 360 going around you at all times. With our Waymo technology, we have a 360 view, three football fields around all the time. Uh, which, you know, that's an benefit and advantage of the technology. And it doesn't get tired. It doesn't text. It doesn't, like me, fiddle around trying to find the right song on the radio station uh, or, you know, find the show on the radio station. It's just a fundamentally different focused level of technology that we have access to. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think maybe the other thing to get at is what this business actually looks like, right? I mean, this decision is really about the business models that you may be able to have. Is there like sufficient demand in San Francisco for this service that we should expect to see, let's say, you know, the Public Utilities Commission approves you to take fares at all all times? Should we expect to see a lot of these cars driving around the streets because there's a lot of demand for the for these kinds of rides? We do know that Californians want it. Uh, for example, here in San Francisco, we have 100,000 people signed up on the wait list. And in Los Angeles, we didn't announce it very long ago, we already have 20,000 people signed up on the wait list. So we know that there's interest, demand, people are curious, they want to check out this homegrown tech. Uh, but I, I would say we would take a very gradual and incremental approach to our um, to this, basically being able to make our service available to San Franciscans. We've this is not our first rodeo. We've also been doing this in Arizona. Uh, as I was mentioning to Kevin earlier, we've been up and running to the public in Arizona since 2021. Uh, and so we know that people have interest and that they get used to it. And uh, But we also grew in that market gradually as well. Let's bring in uh, Dylan Fabris. Um, Dylan, are, what are your concerns as you know, head of... Um, community and policy management at uh, San Francisco Transit. Like, what are your concerns about the interaction between these companies and their autonomous vehicles and transit in the city? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, there's there's currently a lack of accountability and transparency from AV companies. Uh, the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency, or, or Muni, has had to scour social media just to get a rough ins- Uh, a rough estimate of how many incidents AVs are causing on SF streets. Uh, So before AV companies are allowed to expand, we'd like to see more stringent regulations in place to ensure they're providing the public with transparency into how their systems work and the amount of incidents they cause. So which, you know, when I have seen in the past reports from like the DMV, they will, they, they report certain things about what has happened or what's what's gone wrong. What are the specific data points that you want that are not available? Right. So I think we've seen a few reports of things like collisions that that these AV companies are required to report. Um, and, and these companies will kind of use their collision rates to, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
advocate for the safety of their vehicles. But there are other situations and safety incidents that these vehicles are causing that aren't being reported. Uh, so, for instance, we've heard reports of AVs blocking bus lanes, uh, stopping in the middle of train tracks, emergency vehicles uh, having to, you know, back up and, and go around streets that are blocked by these cars. Um, it's concerning and it proves that this technology isn't ready to expand. It's really still in this experimental stage at the moment. Um, and we at uh, San Francisco Transit Riders are certainly against expanding any technology that has proven to repeatedly slow down our public transit network, which hundreds of thousands of people rely on each day in San Francisco. Yeah. Annabelle, um, what do you, from the Waymo perspective, what do you think that metric should be? Like, I assume you think you should report something about the problems that are caused by the cars. So what, what is the metric that you guys prefer? Yeah, I think if, let's put it into context, uh, as Kevin mentioned earlier, not only are we federally regulated, we have data reporting that goes to the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. We have data that goes in California to the California Public Utilities Commission. We have data that goes to the California Department of Motor Vehicles on a quarterly basis, very regular. That's enormous amounts of data that's already going out there. And do you think those the stops, like the specific kinds of things that Dylan was talking about, that that's already captured in your existing reporting? Or do you think it's not captured? In the we do believe that it's captured in the existing reporting. Yeah. Kevin, how about you? Like if, when you've gone trying to figure, I assume you see one of these viral incidents. And as a reporter, you go like, how can I figure out how often this is happening? Have you been able to track down that kind of information? It's very, very difficult. And I would say part of the reason why is... Different uh, vehicles are operating under different licenses. So some things are allowed un or some things are reported to the DMV, for example, because they're permitted testing. Some things are uh, re uh, recorded and reported to the CPUC because they're the robo taxi services. So there is it's very difficult to kind of find collated information and comprehensive information on what this is. So a lot of times I'm using the exact same sources as SFMTA is, which is social media reports, um, reports from, um, you know, the fire department or, or what, what have you. And there just there just not is a kind of single source of truth when it comes to some of these incidents. Let's bring in uh, some callers. Let's go to uh, Justine in San Rafael. Welcome. Hi there. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so I live in San Rafael, but work in the city. So I I don't think I can go to public comment, so thank you for taking my call. Um, I, too, have anecdotes about being blocked in by the cars. I think my main concern after watching so many intrusions into public transit by tech company ideas and private buses, et cetera, is what problem are we solving for? I don't, like, that's, that's the thing I continually don't understand and I don't think it's being articulated. So all of the all the conversation right now about particular to public safety is all relevant and important. But hmm. I want to know what we're solving for. Hmm. What problem yeah. is this? <laughs> yeah, Justine, no, I appreciate and, that. And thank you. Yeah. yeah, no, I do appreciate that. Thank you, uh, Justine San Rafael. I actually want to bring in another voice to, to take this question. Dan Chapman is associate professor and chair in the Department of City and Regional Planning at UC Berkeley. Welcome, Dan. Hi, thanks for having me. So from your perspective as, you know, a planner, what can do you see autonomous vehicles as a solution for a specific problem of the city or how do you see them like playing into the overall planning of our of our cities? Well, well, look, I think you have to see autonomous vehicles as primarily a market driven phenomenon that will succeed or fail based on its acceptance by a market. Um, I, I don't see it as necessarily a 
uh, a solution for a societal problem. I do think that the autonomous vehicle companies have emphasized the extent to which they believe autonomous vehicles will improve uh, safety. And that has been a, a big focus. Uh, and it's true that we can expect over time, at least I believe it's true, that we can expect over time for autonomous vehicles to have greater safety for some of the reasons uh, that were pointed out earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think that, you know, we, we can talk about the potential societal benefits of, of AVs that go beyond safety. We can talk about the potential issues. You know, it's a real, it's a real mixed bag. Um, I don't view this as something that is likely to be stopped in the longer run. I think it's going to happen. The question is, you know, what, how can we, how can we regulate it and how can we manage it in such a way that it will maximize those benefits and, and reduce some of those costs. Mm-hmm. Annabelle Chang, head of state policy and government relations at Waymo, um, make the case to a skeptic that this is solving a societal problem. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Transportation is about having a menu of options. So, for example, today after leaving here, I'm going to take a Waymo to Caltrain and then from Caltrain walk home. On a rainy day, I may take a different set of options. On a day where I have to carry things or I have my kids with me, I may also have a different set of options. I think the more options you have, the better. And what's really interesting about Waymo um, and others in the space is that we're a fully electric vehicle option. So for some folks, it is easier to be able to take a ride hill option with a fully autonomous all-electric Waymo than owning an electric vehicle that is very expensive and you have to have charging and you have to find charging. We take care of all of that for you. Uh, But I will actually just share a little bit of my personal experience. The first time I got into Waymo, was an incredibly liberating experience because I suddenly realized like, wow, I can get all these hours of my life back where I was you know, driving uh, and having to pay attention to the road while simultaneously trying to take care of a toddler in the back seat, while simultaneously having to you know, uh, navigate where I'm headed and also feeling a little bit anxious that I'm going to be late for work. Uh, and what I could be doing instead, in a way, I was sitting in the back seat with my toddler and chatting and having a conversation uh, or potentially checking my work email. Uh, it's just, it's totally liberating. Think of all the hours that you get back in your life. Uh, but it's also about just having, frankly, another transportation option. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to Luke in San Francisco. Welcome, Luke. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, my, my big concern around autonomous vehicles is that similar to Uber and Lyft, which we saw massive increases in vehicles miles traveled, basically car traffic on our streets, that we will see similar or greater increases in VMT due to autonomous vehicles, in part because some of the promises that they'll be more affordable, also people like them because they don't have to talk to a human. And so I, I would love to hear, you know, Waymo talk about how they're going to address that and the concerns around more and more cars on our streets rather than just investing this money in public transportation and bike infrastructure. Yeah. Luke, it's a, it's a good point. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for that. I mean, first, Annabelle, before we come to you on this, I want to ask uh, Dan Chapman again, what, for you, how would you keep tabs on what effect these autonomous vehicles are actually having in cities, right? I mean, like, is there data you think should be captured that says, like, yes, this is increasing vehicle miles traveled or this is not? Because if I think back to when the ride-hailing services were first coming out, a lot of the the 
early rhetoric was essentially this is going to take cars off the road. And then as more research came out, it was like, well, actually, probably not because people are circling, looking for rides. And it might have actually increased the amount of congestion in center cities. Yeah, this is a tough question. It's a little bit difficult to get good data on this. And this is one of the reasons why some of the public agencies in San Francisco have been trying to to get more data um, from from the companies operating these services to get a better sense, or or for that matter, from Uber and Lyft to get a better sense of what's happening. Um, there's something called deadheading or or phantom or, or, or ghost miles that are that are referring to the the fact that you know an autonomous vehicle might be circling around waiting for a ride to call it and it'd be just creating additional vehicle miles traveled. Um, I think in the in the question in the case of San Francisco, particularly, we're talking about um, the the really difficult question of what mode shift is happening. So the claim that was made in the early days of autonomous vehicles and of Uber and Lyft was this will enable people not to own cars and to pay kind of on a marginal cost basis for the use of vehicles. Uh, when in fact, it's probably been more the case that it's diverted people from other modes, particularly public transit, but also walking and other things. So. Um, so we need we need good survey data. Um, ideally, it would be good to have data from from the companies to try to assess this better. Mm-hmm. And um, and absent that, it it is you know the studies that have been done have done their best to try to estimate these things. And most of them, as you point out, have have concluded that um, these services have tended to increase the amount of driving on our roads, which which calls to mind the need for different policy responses to that, mm-hmm. such as road pricing. Anvil, what do you think? You think when a fully deployed Waymo will add vehicle miles traveled or take them away? I, I can say that we don't exactly know, right? Because this is a pretty new technology. We've only been in uh, publicly available in one market, and that's Arizona, and that's uh, relatively new. And they they don't have quite as robust of a transit system necessarily as the Bay Area. However, what was really interesting is that we did partner with. Uh, uh, Phoenix's area's um, transit agency. It was the first partnership in the world with a transit agency and a fully autonomous company. And what we were f- finding is that we were serving people that did not have access to transit. So the elderly, seniors loved it. People with accessibility concerns loved it. They wanted to be able to connect to transit, and this was an option for them. Uh, so here in the Bay Area, I think that is certainly something that we would be wanting to explore in California in general. Uh, but I think it's it's still early days, but from our view, we're still filling a gap in transportation. Think about late night riders. Think about areas that are not easily accessible to a transit stop. Uh, that This is just another option available to them. We're talking about autonomous vehicles and what their expanded presence might mean for transportation in San Francisco. Joined by Annabelle Chang, head of state policy and government relations at Waymo. Kevin Trong, staff writer at the San Francisco Standard. Dylan Fabris, community and policy manager at San Francisco Transit Riders. And Dan Chapman, associate professor and chair of the Department of City and Regional Planning at UC Berkeley. We're going to get to more of your calls and comments after the break. The number is 866-733-6786 and the email is forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about autonomous vehicles and what their expanded presence might mean for transportation in San Francisco. Joined by Dan Chapman, Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of City and Regional Planning at Berkeley, Dylan Fabris from San Francisco Transit Riders, Annabelle Chang from Waymo, and Kevin Trong, Staff Writer at the San Francisco Standard. Let's uh, go back to the phones here. Um, Peter in San Francisco, welcome. Yes, hi. Thanks for the discussion. I'm very concerned about the civic function, the social function uh, that a a car would normally have. As a pedestrian, when I'm crossing particularly an unregulated crosswalk, I like to see it when I have a wave Mm -hmm. of the hand from the driver saying, go ahead, I see you, uh, and I'm going to stop for you. I don't get that from a Waymo, and Mm -hmm. I have to be retrained. Uh, One of the things that uh, your guest mentioned from Waymo is, training fire and police. Well, what do they have to train? How about all the training that has to happen for somebody like a pedestrian? What about if I should pass out in the, in the, in the, dry, in the crosswalk and lie in front of the Waymo? Maybe it'll stop, but will it call an ambulance or the police? Um, all the social things. Will a policeman be able to commandeer a vehicle to chase somebody, which he would be able to do presumably with an actual vehicle? So there are all kinds of sort of social things including for that matter, I don't know how Waymo works when I'm in the car, but suppose there's a medical problem in the car or there's some kind of an issue, uh, what, do, what will the vehicle itself do to either help, mm-hmm. maybe change the direction? Will it take me to a hospital if I say I think I'm having a heart attack? Uh, but all of the social things that we expect yeah. from cars and car, car riders seem to be lacking very badly. Mm-hmm. Peter, thanks so much uh, for that perspective. And Annabelle, I mean, I think I wanted to pick up on a, a couple of different uh, pieces of, of Peter's um, comment there. I mean, one is the training. You you did mention training with the San Francisco Fire Department. What what does what what is that training? And um, and also we, we also uh, heard police as well. And I think there are a lot of generally questions about how police can, do, should interact with these vehicles. Yeah. Uh, So in these trainings, they're relatively robust, I would say somewhere between 60 to 90 minutes. Uh, Of course, firefighters and police are often very busy. So we're finding time in their busy schedules to to help give them uh, hands-on access to our vehicles. So there's a couple of issues, right? It's not only as an electric vehicle. uh, So if you were ever having to use the jaws of life, you have to be very careful about how you extricate someone or open a door on an electric vehicle. Uh, But of course, our cars also have quite a few sensors 
sensors, LIDAR, radar, cameras, microphones, et cetera. Uh, and uh, what we've learned from actually firefighters, for example, is that they want to be able to manually disengage our vehicle or they want to be able to manually communicate with someone. Hmm. Uh, so as part of that, we've actually put on QR codes onto our windows so that law enforcement can quickly um, get access to our law enforcement hotline and ask a question. Uh, we've also learned things. So for example, when um, let's say we're heading towards a emergency vehicle situation and we, we realize that and the car is now trying to get out of the situation in a multi-point turn. And in the past, we used to do kind of like what some humans do, which is like move forward and then do your multi-point turn. But because the firefighters were not clear about what the intention of the vehicle was, uh, we've now learned to reverse back as an indicator to the firefighters that we're trying to get out of the situation. And now we also have audio cues to match. So there are absolutely novel situations that we're also learning about um, and trying to better interact and be a better member of, of, of the community. Uh, but you know there are these interesting situations that come up and you don't realize it until uh, maybe a firefighter gives you feedback. Mm -hmm. And we try to keep an open line of communication with them as much as possible. Hmm. Let's uh, bring in uh, Marcelo in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi. Uh, thanks for bringing up this issue. Uh, I am a career cab driver in San Francisco, full-time driver for more than 30 years. Uh, I know at some point Waymo and Cruise technology will be ready for prime time, but I'm calling not to oppose technology. I oppose Waymo and Cruise and Uber and Lyft providing taxi services in the city of San Francisco without paying into the medallion system, cab drivers had to. As you know, cab drivers had to pay a quarter of a million dollars to operate on our streets. And Uber and Lyft got a free ride, and now Waymo and Cruise hmm. will get a free ride as well. Why must only the downtrodden cab drivers pay? Hmm. Why can't? this multi-billion dollar companies pay into the medallion system. Mm. I hope the, our representatives in the California legislature will introduce, will pass legislation to have them pay into the system. I understand they are under state jurisdiction, but they are providing taxi services mm. in the city of San Francisco. Mm. So why can't they pay? Yeah. Marcelo, thank you for uh, this perspective and for, for bringing this up. You know, Kevin, I want to come to you on this. Um, we did, you know, Uber and Lyft kind of let the cat out of the bag in some ways on this medallion system. Can it be pulled back in, I suppose, is, is Marcelo's kind of one of Marcelo's questions, at least. You know, I talked to a lot of cab drivers who have very much the, the same point. And, and I would say, unfortunately, I think that the issue has kind of been litigated by Uber and Lyft, who are kind of. Uh, considered different types of companies, TNC, transportation network companies, and kind of regulated in, in, in a different way. And unfortunately, um, and, and I, I think this is little um, little recourse for some of the cab drivers who had to pay into this system. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a decision that has been made at the regulatory level already. And I, I don't see us, unfortunately, going back to that uh, medallion system um, in, in that same way. Yeah. Marcelo, also, uh, Amy, one of our listeners, writes in to say, the elephant in the room is human labor costs. Robots are cheaper than humans, and Uber and Lyfts will be uh, too expensive if livable wages get paid, which they should. The problem this is solving is the cost of wages, just like self-checkout and many other instances of robots taking jobs. 
Um, let's bring in Rob in San Francisco. Having me on. Um, God, I've got a lot of concerns. First of all, is nobody ever talks about whether these vehicles can be hacked or the main computer system could be hacked somehow, what that would do to an army of robot cars on the streets. Um, another caller mentioned how this is a solution and look, or excuse me, it's a problem looking for a solution. It's a solution looking for a problem. Um, Annabelle talked about how it's great. You can bring up a, a, uh, a Waymo or a cruise and they can pick you up at your door and it frees you up. You don't have to own a car. You don't have to have insurance or put gas in it. You have your time with your kid in the back seat. That all can be accomplished with a taxi system that we already have. It's not necessary to have a robot car to do things. And, um, you know, as far as interacting with them out in the public, I've seen them almost hit bicycle riders, you know, the usual stuff of stopping for no reason. There's so many little incidents that I'm sure are never reported to the DMV. And we as private citizens have no recourse. How do we deal with the car out in the situation um, mm-hmm. on the street. And um, I just think that this is being kind of shoved down our throat because of, you know, like the old Jeff Goldblum line from Jurassic Park. We decided that we could, but we didn't decide if we should. Mm-hmm. And is this something that we really don't need? It's going to be regulated by the California PUC, not the cities where these mm-hmm. things are going to operate. And the problem is they don't do a very good job. They unleashed 20,000 Ubers and Lyfts on San Francisco streets with no recourse by the SFMTA. We couldn't do a thing about it because it's being dictated by this PUC, which doesn't seem to be a very good regulating body as far as I can see. Hey, Rob, thanks so much for a lot in that that comment. I mean, I think maybe we should just start at the – hacking question like let's start at the the sort of uh digital integrity of these vehicles um the robot army of of waymos is an excellent start to a screenplay um have you have you talk talk to me about that that security side of it annabelle yeah we've been thinking about this from the very inception of this idea uh because of these types of concerns and so every vehicle is actually uh protected a vehicle by itself. So it's not connected to every other vehicle in a way that can be hacked. Uh, so, for example, our, our vehicles can even stop, I mean, complete a ride. Uh, sorry, our vehicles can complete a ride even if the internet or Wi-Fi or, you know, cellular signal goes down uh, because each car is a little mini supercomputer. Um, and no individual can actually access those mini supercomputers in the car. Uh, but we're thinking about every day. We have teams dedicated to this type of work. We recognize that even if we had one scenario where that went badly, um, this could be uh, really, uh, I would say, harm the entire endeavor of autonomous vehicles. So we're thinking about it. We're working on it. Um, we're absolutely dedicated to protecting against yeah. that risk. Um, you know, something that keeps coming up, Dan Chapman, um, and I'll, I'll use this one comment to, to get at it. Ellen writes, more car traffic is not safer. It's already scary being a pedestrian, bicyclist, or anyone not in a car without a ton of new and non-readable cars on the roads. And I think this is a, a really interesting point because a lot of what I – a lot of these issues seem to come down to – there's a kind of robot staring at me and I'm not sure what to do, or I'm staring at a robot, I'm not sure what to do. Do you see possibilities in 
embedding things into the urban environment that might make it easier for people to kind of parse what's happening with these new kinds of um, uh, transportation options? Yeah, I mean, this, I think this is an interesting question. I mean, um, there there have been examples in the past of uh, Japanese companies taking out patents on vehicles that actually were more communicative in terms of being able to to uh, have facial expressions and things like that. So, Lord knows how, what what direction this may take in the autonomous vehicle fleets uh, of the future. I do think that with technology over time, we have a lot of we have a tendency to adapt um, if it is taken up. Uh, the, the question about whether it's taken up is, in turn, a, a question of whether or not it gives benefits to people. And mm -hmm. there's been a lot of comments today about all the potential problems. And I just want to point out that there are a lot of potential benefits to individuals, which is why Uber and Lyft were so problematic in the sense that they were taken up in large numbers by people mm -hmm. people using. So, um, I, I don't, you know, I don't imagine that there'll be, um, I, I think my, you don't think they're going to be uh, night rider talking to us anytime soon. Well, I mean, we, you can imagine things like that, but I was just going to say, I'm, you know, I, I bicycle and walk everywhere. I drive, I drive rarely. Uh, I can see why people would be concerned about this because of those, uh, those, but the potential issues there, but I guess I'm a, bit more optimistic about the likelihood of pedestrians and cyclists being able to coexist with these vehicles and in turn these vehicles have the potential not the necessarily it's not necessarily going to be this way but the potential to be used in ways that are environmentally friendly and um and are shared and are actually mm -hmm. helpful transportation ecosystem and also in the land use ecosystem so a lot depends on how they're regulated and how they roll out yeah thanks so much for that let's go to uh liam in san francisco welcome hi um i just uh i was actually at the darpa grand challenge the first one um wow. about 20 years ago when when the cars um none of the cars finished and several cars didn't even get across the starting line um so things have changed quite a bit since then um, I, I, I have, you know, mixed feelings on one hand, I feel that, um, drivers are doing so many things besides driving these days. They're looking at their screens. They're, you know, they're, it's, it's crazy. And the Uber, Lyft, DoorDash situation has caused Valencia Street to, um, you know, get the controversial middle bike lane it has now because people, it was so dangerous there, the way the cars were, you know, human cars were responding. So, uh, what bothers me about the, the autonomous vehicles is that when they're all, when they do stop, and I've seen them stop next to me, which is super puzzling, and when they drive into crime scenes or fire, you know, scenes, and and they stop, obviously that's not a good thing. What I don't, what I'd love to hear is exactly what it's like on the other side. I've always assumed that there are people monitoring every car sitting in a, you know, with a bank of screens watching. And so I don't understand when these things happen, how it's not rectified right away. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. why, you know, why does somebody have to find a QR code on a car and then call a number? Why is there not immediate response mm -hmm. from the Waymo crew or that's what I don't understand. And that seems to be one of the problems here. And if that was, you know, you know, solved, go forward yeah. better. Hey, Lim, thanks. Uh, thanks so much. You know, Anvil, I'm actually really curious about this, too. That, that my assumption has always been that, too. A, you have all the cameras. Um, you can see what's going on. And you also know if a car hasn't been moving for a while. Um, and you would there's I assume there's some signal that's like, hey, I'm having trouble. Um 
talk to so so why why isn't there why doesn't it at least seem like there's more communication and what's going on in the back end when something like that happens? It happens within seconds. So, for example, each car, as I said, is a mini supercomputer, right? So it is processing, it is making its own decisions, uh, but it is getting some level of guidance from our dispatch team. So, for example, if it encounters something novel, maybe it's uh, something unusual like a funeral procession, right? It may say, what am I seeing? And we have someone on dispatch saying, that's a funeral procession. But ultimately, the car still makes a decision on how to proceed. Um, However, let's say we uh, take that information and the car doesn't exactly know how to process it. Uh, We were saying that it may go and reach a minimal risk condition where it pulls over um, in a safe spot, Um, or it may take a few moments to process what's happening and then move forward. But ultimately, the human's dispatch um, is, is inputting information into the car, and the car is making that ultimate decision with our Waymo driver uh, on how to proceed. It may take a few moments, but we're also learning, right? And I want to take one quick point. Uh, We have been fully operational, totally commercial in Arizona since 2021. We're currently serving tens of thousands of rides a week. Uh, And uh, most of those are totally without incident. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's a pretty remarkable record of safety. Yeah. Um, Dylan Fabris, do you want to make your community and policy manager with San Francisco Transit um, riders? It seems to me like there are the issues, these kind of smaller issues. And I think your issue seems to be more of like the larger fabric of the city being negatively impacted by by these cars. Right. Yeah. I think it's important to go back to the fact that uh, there's a good case that that expanding these AV fleets will generate a lot of new vehicle miles um, traveled each year. So a recent analysis by the San Francisco Planning Department found that a fleet of 245 AVs could generate up to 9.8 million new vehicle miles traveled per year and increase the amount of trips taken by car by up to 61%. So I think we need to be having a discussion uh, as a city and as a state uh, about what we want our roads to look like in the future. Do we want our roads to be more congested, more filled with cars, whether human or robot driven? Um, Or do we want to live in a future where more people have access to public transportation? It's a system that's been around for 100 years and we know that works. Um, We just need the resources to invest in that. Uh, make public transportation better, and also make streets safer for uh, more vulnerable road users like pedestrians and uh, people on bikes. Um, And I think that's what this conversation Mm -hmm. is missing, is that uh, at the end of the day, AVs are still cars, and there's still a lot of problems with cars, whether human uh, or robot. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dylan Fabris, Community and Policy Manager of San Francisco Transit Writers. Ken Chong, really quickly... Um, can we watch the like CPUC hearings like on their website if people are you know engaged and want to see what how this plays out? Yeah, I think they will be live streamed. I I would double check on that, but the meeting itself is happening in in San Francisco on August 10th. So feel free to show up in person. It, it'll be a, a rowdy one, I'm sure. Are you going to be there? Uh, I'm actually on vacation. But uh, okay, somebody <laughs> will be there somebody. from the standard. I'm sure. <laughs> We've been talking about autonomous vehicles and what their expanded presence might mean for transport in San Francisco. Been joined by Kevin Trunk, staff writer with the San Francisco Standard, Dylan Fabers, community and Policy Manager, San Francisco Transit Writers, Annabelle Chang, Head of State Policy and Government Relations at Waymo, and Dan Chapman, Chair of the Department of City and Regional Planning at UC Berkeley. I'm Alexis Magical. Thank you so much to everyone who called and all of our guests. Stay tuned for another hour of Form Ahead with Mina Kim. 
Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.